start with a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, bless us as we continue to look in the majesty of our salvation, the great God who saves uh, in His Son, and uh, uh, that by grace through faith. Uh, help us never uh, to depart from these majestic truths, and may Thy blessings richly abide upon us. Uh, for the glory of Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen. So, so real quickly, if you think about where we've come from, we started with God's revelation of Himself in Scripture, the inspired Word of God. And that is our objective understanding uh, from whence we draw uh, uh, our, our knowledge of how, how God saves. Um, that might seem uh, uh, elementary to you, but, uh, but typically in our culture, people self-define their faith. They don't need an objective reality. Uh, faith is totally subjective. It's determined by our culture. And therefore, uh, over the decades, what's happening is, is Christianity is just another religion, and they're all the same. And as long as you're happy, you know, not to worry. Uh, and that's, that's I think, where our, where our culture is. Uh, uh, you know, there have been occasions, for example, a number of years ago, I was trying to witness to a, a supplier at my home who was Jewish, and I was witness to it. And he, he finally said, you know, I'm glad that makes you happy. In other words, it didn't apply to him. As long as it made me happy, then he was happy. So we are massively rejecting the concept of an objective faith found only uh, in God's revelation. That's why we begin there. Uh, uh, we go to the person of God because he's the creator and the definer. And now we're looking at how he saves. Uh, we started last week with the importance of union with Christ because it's from that that all of these doctrines that we're about to begin with flow from. Uh, you're either in Christ or you're not. And that's just of massive, massive importance. And so our blessings come to us because we're in Christ. So if you, if you look at um, Roman numeral 2, Redemption Applied, just very quickly, um, Murray reminds us that the order we're going to look at is a logical arrangement, not a temporal one. So it's logical, not temporal. Uh, uh, then he says the application is a series of access, acts pardon me, and processes, and then he lists them. Calling, regeneration, conversion, faith and repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification. Um, and one verse where you can read many of those is Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. Now, what do we mean by logical and not temporal? Because some of these things occur uh, virtually simultaneously. Uh, for example, regeneration and conversion occur simultaneously. Um, faith is the immediate uh, response of our regeneration. Uh, so it, it is virtually simultaneous. Uh, um, so, so again, it's not a, it's not a temporal arrangement. Uh, the best illustration, certainly lots of them, uh, that, uh, that I can think of in terms of simultaneous is uh, most of you drive automobiles. Most of your automobiles have hubcaps. 
Uh, so which comes first, the turning of the hubcap or the wheel? Well, they're virtually simultaneous. So when God regenerates you, there is immediate life, just simultaneous. So, uh, uh, but, but the point we're going to try to emphasize is he's causing the regeneration because dead men can't make themselves alive. So anyway, uh, we begin with effectual calling. Um, a very important distinction is that between the universal call or the gospel addressed to all men without exception and the effectual call which ushers men into a state of salvation. The general call is where the, is, is found at the level of the church. Uh, I don't know who the elect are. You don't know who the elect are. You call your friends, your family members, maybe your children to come to Christ. You're issuing a general call to them. Um, you share the gospel with them, um, and that's really all you can do. The church is commanded to go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to all men. That's the general call. Uh, but at the divine level, the Spirit takes that general call in the sharing of the gospel and effectually begins to call the elect unto himself. Okay? And by effectual call, uh, we mean that God, God makes us willing by his power. So it's effectual in the sense that it's efficient, to um, to bring to faith everyone for whom it is intended. Um, the Spirit doesn't have to um, do anything other than add His power uh, to begin to woo men to come to Christ. Sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it's over a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Think of your own salvation. Maybe there were repetitive events of people sharing with you the Gospel, Maybe there were experiences in your life showing uh, the fact that you were bankrupt and you needed a Savior. I mean, I, I don't really know, but you know your own experience. Um, sometimes, again, um, people respond immediately. Uh, other times, uh, it's over a period of time. But, but, but there's always the common element of the essence of the Gospel. Uh, we are bankrupt. We need a Savior. Christ is the only Savior. We were sinners. He paid for the sins of sinners. And uh, we, we bow before him in repentance and faith and believe that what he did for us upon the cross uh, is the entire basis of our salvation. So um, it, at some point, there's a, a essence of the gospel. Um, I, you know, I would encourage you to, you know, in your own repertoire of quoting verses, to have a few verses that you quote, like Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, uh, you know, different verses. Uh, think of uh, the verse that was instrumental in your own salvation. Uh, um, think of, uh, very briefly, a very quick personal testimony, um, because you're passionate about your own personal testimony. Condense it very quickly. Um, People don't give you a lot of time, um, particularly if you're, if you're sharing with a, maybe a tradesman that's coming to your home or so on and so forth. Uh, with your children or dear friends, you have much more time, but sometimes you have to get in and out quickly. Uh, um, um, uh, but again, establish some type of 
some, a routine that, that you are used to include uh, the quoting of scripture, uh, something of your own personal testimony, and call upon people to believe. The, because that's what the Spirit uses. The Spirit's always going to use the gospel that we, that we have in God's revelation in His Word. So the Spirit's always going to use the Word. And, uh, but the Spirit works effectually. Uh, we call men, sometimes we argue, you have to be very careful arguing, doesn't produce a lot of results, but um, just important for us to deliver the modicum of the gospel. But the Spirit takes that, and because the Spirit's all-powerful, you know, that's why we move from revelation to the person of God. God is omnipotent, okay? So the Spirit of God, as a person of God, is omnipotent. Uh, he never fails, uh, he knows those for whom the Father intended to be saved. Uh, he begins to draw them, and because of his power, they're going to eventually come. That, that's a sense the effectual calling of God. Uh, let's let's look at let's look at that. Uh, obviously, from the scriptures, where, where do we gain our understanding of the knowledge of God? Uh, where God has revealed Himself in Scripture. So Romans chapter eight. Um, in verse 30, I'm just going to look at a number of verses here. Um, uh, I mean, let's, let's, let's read, um, the court, let's, let's begin in verse, verse 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Right there, the eternal purposes of God. Now, remember, we at one point when we were studying the person of God, we looked at the decrees of God. Here's a synonym, God's eternal purposes. Can they fail? No, because God, God can't fail. If he could fail, he wouldn't be God. You and I fail because we're finite. God cannot fail because he's infinite and he's all-powerful. So you see all the attributes coming to bear here on everything that God's doing. He has eternal purposes. They're going to come to pass. Okay? Because of who God is. According to his eternal purposes. Now, Paul's going to explain this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So it starts with his son. Verse 30. And whom he predestined, these he also called. So in the decrees of God, he has predestined those that are going to come to faith. It's his choice, not ours. Uh, it's a reminder that He is the Sovereign. Um, we choose, but only if He chooses us. So it always comes back to God. Uh, and, 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 and from that, there must be a measure of marked humility uh, because He is the initiator based on His eternal purposes. Um, so, uh, whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom he called, these he also justified and then glorified. So the chain begins with effectual calling. Okay, Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. Let's turn to um, um, 1 Corinthians. Just one, one book over. 1 Corinthians 1 9. So, God is faithful through whom you are called 
into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's the faithfulness of God that called you into fellowship with His Son. So He's bringing you to the Son. He's faithful. What's He faithful to? His eternal purposes. Uh, The dispatching of the Son and the Spirit. And then to work it out in the drama of human redemption. Okay? But fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? Again, I want to remind you that there is no other way to salvation other than right here. In His Son. Uh, not in any of the other religions of the world. It's not left to be defined by you. Uh, one of the most common religions today is personal subjectivism. I call it spiritualism. I feel spiritual. I feel like I'm a good person. I feel in touch with the God of nature. What does all that mean? I, I don't know what it means. This is objective reality into fellowship with His Son. Absent that, there is no salvation. What causes it? The faithfulness of God and His effectual call. So 1 Corinthians 1.9. Let's look at um, Ephesians 1.17. Well, I must begin reading verse 15. For this reason I also, also, uh, too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that, so Paul is praying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Okay? I mean, those things are God-given. Part of His effectual call. Okay? Um, um, When someone is drawn to the faith by the Holy Spirit, they're drawn to the objective reality of who Christ is as God has revealed Him in the Scriptures. Okay, Not in nature, not in the Book of Mormon, not in some subjective experience that you have, because our faith is not self-defined. It's defined by God as He's revealed Himself in Scripture. But notice very very critical here, in terms of subjectivism, and spiritualism may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Okay? That's precluding subjectivism and spiritualism. In the knowledge of Him. Knowledge is an objective reality uh, that we have for us contained in Holy Scripture. Okay? Um, how do we know about God? We know because He's left us an objective revelation in the scriptures, okay, in the knowledge of Him. One of the, the sad aspects of our faith today is most, most people, many, many people, I should say, speak of the faith in terms of their feelings. Okay? I'm all for feelings, but feelings are the product of knowledge. Feelings don't cause knowledge, they're the product of knowledge. Uh, our faith is not absent feelings, but they're not based on feelings. 
that are based upon the knowledge of God as he's revealed himself in Scripture. Okay. Um, when you go to your doctor, you want him to give you objective truth, not his feelings. Okay. When you go to your pharmacist, I presume he's a, had a lot of training in chemistry, uh, an objective science. Um, you don't want him to feel through uh, the preparing of your medications. You want it to be based on the science that he learned in school. When you go to get on an airplane, you want the pilot to be trained according to rigid standards, not that he can feel his way through the clouds. Well, the faith is the same way. But God has revealed himself in Scripture. Uh, our culture is becoming defined by how we feel about things. I'm all for feelings. But it's the knowledge, it's the knowledge that's going to drive those feelings. Uh, and, and really, Paul speaks to a measure of that, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know, notice, know, know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might? But notice the word calling, the hope of his calling. He called us, us into fellowship of his son. He calls us to walk by faith. And uh, at some someday he calls us to be with him uh, eternally in glory the hope of his calling. Um, um, when I call people to come to Christ, I can't supplement it with power. When God calls people, tied to his calling, is his divine power to woo people to come. And so they come. Because uh, he makes their will willing. He doesn't do it against their will. He makes their will willing. So um, let's look at, um, let's go, go back one book, Galatians 1.15, this measure of Paul's testimony. Um, but when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, now notice, and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. That call me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. Okay, if you go back and look in the book of Acts at the three times, Paul shares his testimony of meeting Christ on the road to Damascus. Uh, um, everyone that was around Paul didn't have a clue what was going on. Paul did because God was effectually calling him. Okay. Um, and what was the basis of the call? Obviously Christ. To reveal his son in me. Okay. So, you know, we ask him, who are you, my Lord? Uh, I'm Christ, uh, the one whom you are persecuting, namely persecuting his people. Okay, so it's always going to come through Christ. Not nature, uh, not music, uh, not any other... Uh, way, but God's revelation of Himself in Christ. Uh, good, good testimony there. Let's let's look at um, 
2 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 8 and 9. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Notice, power of God. Verse 9. Who has saved us. He called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Almost all the great doctrines of the faith are found there. Our union in Christ in eternity past. The power of God. Uh, the grace granted to us in Christ Jesus. God has to grant it and give it or it can never be had. Okay? So He's the defining reality. Uh, we have a way of thinking, well, I... I I chose Christ. Well, yeah, you did because He chose you. Uh, I, I was saved because I, I had faith in Christ. Well, yeah, you were, uh, but it's because He uh, birthed you, enabling you to have faith. And He wooed you to have faith and to trust Christ instead of yourself. Notice, not according to works. The vast majority of religions is, I'm a good person, and based upon my goodness and my works, God's going to accept me. Okay? That's where the doctrine of total depravity comes in. We may be good in the eyes of society, of your neighbor, but not in the eyes of God. Okay? Because we're fallen. Uh, the fall is so massive in its ruin of our souls and our corruption that we are, Paul says, Ephesians 2, spiritually dead. He has to make us alive. You know, the great, most pressing analogy is what we studied in Genesis. Abraham and Sarah. Uh, they had no ability to create life. God's not constrained by human abilities. Uh, he accepts uh, Abraham based upon his goodness to Abraham. Why did he call Abraham, Genesis 12? Abraham was the son of an idolater. He just chose Abraham uh, and calls him. Uh, you know, my favorite reality is Genesis 15. As you know the story, but it's worth remembering because it's, there's an analogy in your life. Before he tells Abraham what his covenant is, how he's going to shower blessings upon him, and then he puts Abraham to sleep, he completes uh, uh, the ceremony. So he, he's going to bless Abraham based on what? Abraham's work? Abraham was asleep. No, on his work. Okay? Think of it in this way. You are saved by works, just not your own. His. Because yours, yours, as good as they may be in culture, your family and friends and neighbors, they don't, they don't mean anything to God. Because God is eternal. Remember, go back to the person of God. God is infinite in His perfections. He doesn't accept anything other than that which is perfect. His Son was perfect, so He accepts His work 
for us. Okay? A substitutionary atonement. Okay? That's the only work he accepts. So all these people are thinking, well, I'm just going to be a good person and you know, live according to the Sermon on the Mount and God's going to accept me, my good's going to outweigh my bad. Uh, you know, they need to understand God doesn't accept anything but the work of his son for us. So, um, great, uh, great reminder here. Who saved us, verse 9, call us with a holy calling. Now, I want to remind you of something. The, uh, our election and our calling is purposeful. Okay? Because God is, God is going to make us uh, over time and in degree holy. Holiness defined as separated for service unto Him. Okay? Now we'll get into that when we study the doctrine of sanctification. But uh, ours is not a faith where God calls us and then you can live however you want to live. No, He calls us and makes us alive to be His servants and to serve Him. Uh, to create within us a willing heart to do things that are pleasing to Him. Okay. Um, he doesn't save us and say, well, no, good luck, I hope you make it. You know, try to be good. No, He's going he's gonna to accomplish that in our hearts uh, by, by, by the mystery of His own will. It's different in all of us. We all have different uh, 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 ways in which we serve God. But we are all his priests. Okay. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, you had to uh, belong uh, tribe of Levi and family of Aaron to be priests. God ends that because in Christ we are now his priests. And what do priests do? They serve God. However, that however that is, uh, managing a home. Raising children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, uh, someone working in a church, uh, you know, defined differently. God gives us all differently, but it's all for His, His service. Okay. In the Old Testament, the priests kept uh, the temple and the tabernacle. In the New Testament, all of us do that. So we all have a role, and 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 never diminish your role. Because God defines who you are. He makes you a priest and gives you a calling as to how He wants you to fulfill that, uh, that objective reality. So, so, but it's a holy calling. Again, not according to our works, uh, but according to His own purposes and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus for all eternity. I mean, there is this beautiful verse to establish God's sovereign grace as, as they're in it in all the Scriptures. His, his purposes and glory in Christ. Okay, so great, a great reminder. Let's turn to um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, Peter's obviously addressing Churches, this is purely on the human level, but it's important to recognize God works in the human level. Um, um, 
verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Okay? So, what does it mean to make certain about his calling and choosing with you? Well, we learned it was a holy calling. So let's say there's someone in the church who, you know, is living in known sin, not known to anyone in the congregation, to the elder, but, but they know it. That's a violation of their holy calling. Okay. Paul is saying uh, that may be evidence that God never really called you. Okay. Because God doesn't work that way. Does that make sense? If you're living your own way, well, I'm, you know, I came to Christ, I walked the aisle, I did whatever, whatever. But, I, but I'm really living for myself. I don't really care what happens to God and His church. And, and I don't really need to serve Him. I, I had that emotional experience. No, that's a violation of this verse. Okay, You're to make diligent. How do you make diligent? You serve the Lord with fear and trembling. You serve Him with joy. Uh, but you serve Him, however He's called you. Okay, um, um, You know, our organist... Obviously, has certain skills that she diligently practiced because she wants to serve the Lord in that way. She doesn't get up there and magically, quote unquote, you know, touch keys and you know, there's beauty of the music. No, he he gives to us abilities and he expects us to set those abilities apart for his work in worship. Uh, maybe it's an organ. Uh, maybe it's in housekeeping, maybe it's in caring for infants in the nursery. I mean, I don't know. There's lots of ways. But you have to be diligent about his calling and election of you. Um, it, it, it's very easy to uh, adopt what's very popular in, in, in many Christian churches that, well, um, it's it's not a holy it's not a holy calling. I can live my life. Um, let's see if we can't cement this in another way. I'm going to go back to Ephesians chapter one. Um, you have this great um, expression of union with Christ. Let's look at begin in verse three. Paul is blessing God. Now, why does he begin by blessing God? Because God sets it all in motion. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. That's the work He's going to start in our heart. Okay, It begins with effectual calling, but it's going to set in motion all the things that we're about to study uh, to make us uh, holy and blameless before Him in love. Okay, So it's a holy calling because God's a holy God. Okay. Um, so I'm just, just reminding you in these things that it's important to recognize that uh, it's a holy calling. We are God's priests. Uh, priests are to, are to serve Him um, according to uh, to the manner in which he wants to be served. Okay. Uh, in effectual calling number two, 
Murray says, uh, the author is God the Father, so it's an act of God alone by grace and power, and that we do not call ourselves. Okay? Uh, the calling begins, at some point the gospel is shared, and the Spirit takes that sharing of the Word. The gospel comes from God's Word, and the Spirit adds power to us uh, to cause us to humble ourselves and to see that we need a Savior and that Christ is that Savior, that we need a substitute for our sins because we can't pay for our own sins, uh, but God has made a payment for us in Christ. The Spirit is the power enabling us to see that and to bring us unto Himself. Okay. Um, nature. Um, the actions by which God makes His people the partakers of redemption. I'm going to quote Murray here. If you're looking at number three, the summons, okay, that's the gospel, the preacher calling men to believe in Christ, the summons is invested with the efficacy or the power or efficiency, the efficacy by which we are delivered to the destination intended. We are effectively ushered into the fellowship of Christ by His sovereign power and grace so that it cannot fail of accomplishment. Okay. Um, Romans 11.29 uh, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. They can't be changed. They can't be denied. They're irrevocable. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Um, and certainly in the immediate context is the sovereignty of God and salvation. Uh, call is holy. Um, uh, let's cement this. Philippians 3.14. Just very important. Uh, Paul says, I press onward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Okay. So, it's a life uh, over time and in degree whereby we learn and grow in the faith and we desire to serve and, and please God. Uh, quoting Murray again, the life into which the people of God are ushered is one that separates them from the fellowship of this present evil world. Uh, we used to love the sin that we were involved in. We used to love to please ourselves. Um, we used to love to do everything that made us happy. And now, by the effectual call of God, uh, we grow up in a measure of desiring to please God more and more and to separate our lives more and more into His service. Whatever that service might be, it's different for everyone. Okay, So it's a separation from the fellowship of this present evil world. Four, pattern. The determinate purposes eternal in Christ. In Christ is always, always essential. Uh, we looked at that last week. Union with Christ is the beginning of it all. Priority. It's the first step in the application of redemption. The effectual call. Um, let's look at a couple of critical verses. Um, John chapter 6, I'm going to look at this verse very 
briefly in a worship service, but um, John chapter 6. This is, a, this is a beautiful illustration of the effectual call of God. Um, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. That drawing is the effectual calling of God. He begins to draw men to turn to Christ, to turn away from themselves, to turn to Christ. But notice the Father draws him. The power of God is added uh, to the call of the Gospel. Okay. That's another reason. When we share the Gospel, we don't need to work. Oh my God, did I say the right thing? I mean, if anybody can muck it up, I do all the time. So, you know, but it, it's not based upon our sagacity or our wisdom or our skill. It's based ultimately on the power of God. Just share the rudiments of the gospel. And uh, we don't have to worry about trying to convince someone because we know we can't. So, well, Lord, it's in your hands. You know? so, um, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him now notice the work of the Son, I'll raise him up on the last day. Meaning no one can be lost. If the Father begins the process by drawing us to the Son, the Son's going to purchase them, the Spirit's going to apply it to their lives, and on the day of the final resurrection, Christ is going to raise everyone given to Him by the Father. I'm sorry? Oh, they're always going to say, yeah, yeah, the Father has to draw but I have to believe. So they're always going to say, I've got I've to believe. Uh, raise him up on the last day. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's going to raise us up on the last day, but I have to persevere so that he will raise me up. They're always going to add their... I'm sorry? Um, uh, in, in some elements of Arminianism, there's this concept of prevenient grace where God calls everyone, but then we have to willingly um, validate His call and add our will to it to make it effectual. So again, it's this old cooperation concept. So they're, they're well, it's not in this text. In fact, it's not in any text because dead men can't call themselves. Dead men can't believe. Okay? I mean, it's as simple as that. But they're saying, no, no, I wasn't dead, I was just wounded. And I can get off the sick bed and come. Well, okay, so use the great analogy of Lazarus in the tomb. Did Lazarus make himself willing? No. It's the power of the call of Christ. Lazarus come forth. Boom. Power. He's physically raised from the grave and he comes forth. That dead men can't believe. It's just simple as that. But they're all, that's a great question, Jessica. They're always adding that they've got to do something. Yes, he, draw, he draws us because I let him draw me. Yes, he raises me up on the last day because I'm persevering in the faith. So always adding the human. And, and it's important to recognize there is a human component. I'm not denying that at all. But that's why I said 
by His power, He makes our will willing to believe in Him. Not against our will, but He makes our will willing the day of His power. Um, um, let's look at Acts 16.14. This is a another good picture of it. I, I know we've looked at some of these verses before. So, uh, so Paul, so Paul is in Philippi. There is a gathering of Gentile women who are worshipers of God, okay. and Paul goes to speak to them. Uh, verse thirteen: on the on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. So what that, a worshiper of God, what that means is she was a Gentile who was worshiping uh, uh, the God of the Jews. Okay? Worshiper of God of the Jews. Okay. Uh, was listening so she's listening to Paul's sermon. And now notice, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken to by God. God opens her heart. So we have a compression there of these great, great, magnificent acts of the order of our salvation. God regenerates her heart. From that regenerated heart comes faith. Based on what? That God opened her heart. So, um, if God had not opened her heart, what, what, what would have happened? Nothing would have happened. She would have remained a worshiper of God, but that's not salvific. Okay? Only, only salvation in Christ is salvific. So, a great, great, uh, great text to remind us. Okay, so next time, let's read uh, next chapter on regeneration. Um, yeah, we'll see how far we get. But you also might read the next chapter, Faith and Repentance. Because faith and repentance come from, come from regeneration. Yeah. Okay, any, any, uh, any quick questions? Um, uh, notice I said uh, we are involved in the process because it's our faith. But that faith is a gift. That faith is the fact that God makes us willing by His power. I'm not denying our human involvement. I'm just saying God is the initiator. Um, so it's not cooperative in that sense. Uh, so uh, it's important to recognize that the divine is coming into the human realm and causing, causing these things to happen. Think of Paul on the road to Damascus. Uh, uh, the resurrected Christ meets Paul, comes into the human realm, and speaks, and Paul hears him. Uh, and Paul submits to his will. 
Um, so uh, in no way am I denying, I'm just that the divine is intersecting uh, the human realm. Uh, he, he saves individuals, uh, he saves them uniquely, but he always saves them based upon the uniqueness of Christ. Okay? It was Christ who appeared to Paul. So, and then uh, God opens his eyes. Uh, he was blinded by the glory of Christ, and then God heals the blindness. Uh, and Paul knew exactly who was doing that to him. Because the Lord tells him, I'm, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. So he sets himself apart to serve Christ. Uh, and his life is involved with human effort, uh, human suffering. So there's always a human element. We're just establishing that God is the initiator. And God is the power that makes it happen. Absent that, nothing happens. Okay, any, any quick questions? I think I've gone over by 30 seconds or so. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, bless us with understanding, with the knowledge of God. Uh, enrich our own personal, individual faith as to who we are. To be excited about the fact that God called us with a holy calling and uh, uh, made uh, our life, our new life in Christ happen by his power so that we're to worship and serve him and give him all the glory. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.